Welcome, glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and uh, we are starting a new series today looking at forgiveness, the flow of forgiveness that we can either decide to stay in a pathway of revenge that can be so harmful, or we can break free into the freedom of uh, forgiveness. My family sat down this week and watched one of the greatest movies of all time together. It was quite a moment. 1995, Braveheart. Yeah, okay. So they may take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, right? So we we can take the path of revenge or we can take the path of freedom, and the path of freedom is this beautiful thing called forgiveness. So we're starting a new series today, and we're going to do it uh, again next Sunday. It's just a simple, short, two-week series talking about forgiveness. Scripture is not unclear about this topic. Scripture is not ambiguous about the importance and the centrality of forgiveness in the life of of a follower of Christ. Jesus himself, when he talks about how we are to pray, he models and he says, he says, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's an assumption that we're not just taking in God's forgiveness, but that we are forgiving others as well. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus boldly says that if we are not forgiving one another, then our Father in heaven will not forgive us. Put that in your smoke and pipe it. I mean, that's a doozy. And at one point, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, he says, okay, okay, I get the forgiveness thing, but how many times do I have to forgive? Is it seven times? And you know Jesus' response, he says, 77 times. So this is kind of a big deal. How are you doing with the issue of forgiveness? Do you have somebody in your life that needs your forgiveness that you've already thought of? We're three minutes in, and you've already had some names bouncing around in your head and going, oh, no. Or maybe you're sitting next to that person, and, and so it's just going to be great. Yeah. So uh, this uh, forgiveness issue, you know, maybe, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a whole group of people that, that you need to forgive for something. You know, it has been profoundly said that withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and then expecting the other person to die. And so it's just this, what are we doing with our need for forgiveness in our life? Now, next week, we're going to talk about the beauty and the freedom of forgiveness. We're going to talk more specifically about that. But this morning, all we're going to talk about is freedom basically from the opposite of forgiveness. We're going to talk about freedom from drinking this poison of avoiding forgiveness. Would you pray with me? I'd love to get started. Father in heaven, I, I want to begin by just thanking you for your forgiveness. That We can't talk about forgiveness and, and the freedom and the need for us to be able to do that without thanking you for yours. That time and time again, day in and day out, you forgive us for the many ways that we offend you, that we um, sever or have negative responses to the people around us. And so, God, I thank you for your forgiveness that, that today you love us as much as you ever have despite what we've done in recent days. 
And next week, you will love us as much as you ever have, despite what happens this week. God, we thank you for your amazing forgiveness. And we hope that that flows into freedom in our own lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of this message is Your First Response. What is your first response when somebody hurts you? What is your first response? Don't, don't, don't think about it. Don't ponder the, the ethical ramifications and what is the wise thing to do? What is the right thing to do in this situation? Just boom. What's your first response when somebody hurts you? Because we as humans, we have natural involuntary first responses in a number of ways. We have a number of physical responses that we have. That You go to the doctor and for some reason they want you to put your, your leg up and then they tap the knee because your, your foot is supposed to bounce. And for some reason that's important. And if that doesn't happen, then you need to go to the hospital. I don't know why, I don't know why that's important, but we have to have this natural involuntary response there. We have a natural response to somebody moving their fingers along the bottom of our feet. There's an involuntary response there. Almost every one of us, that's a very sensitive issue. For some, particularly those who are younger, they find that, that concept of tickling the feet to be very enjoyable in a time of elation. And my kids will giggle, ah, and they love it, do more, daddy, all that kind of stuff. For others, when we get older, like me, I'm not a big fan of anybody touching my feet. I'm not going to have a foot massage. Why would you pay for that? I don't want anybody, I don't want my kids touching my feet. I'll tickle your feet and we'll play. Don't touch mine. It's a sensitive thing. So there's this natural response physically to what goes on. We have a natural response with, with yawning. Just with the whole concept of, of yawning. That I can... I can yawn in front of you and see some of you, you fell for it. That was a fake yawn. And so, and so we just hear the word yawn or we see a yawn. And see, I saw some yawns before I did the thing because I, I know we're starting to drift here. So, so, but the whole yawning thing is just, is just so interesting. It's, it's, you know, I saw a yawn there and a yawn there. It's like a yawn revival. I see that. I see that. Yes, amen. I see that yawning happen. And so there's this... this scientists don't even know why we yawn. They don't even know why, and they uh, certainly don't know why we yawn when somebody else mentions yawning. There's something, there's some involuntary natural response there. We have first responses, natural responses, in a number of ways. We also have some natural responses that are morally questionable. You don't need to teach your children how to lie. They're going to pick that one up all on their own. There's something about the self-preservation. It's just a natural thing for kids to say, you know what, in this situation, if I say that, then I can avoid that. And it's just a natural, uh, uh, it's natural response to getting out of a situation. Did you steal your sister's Halloween candy? No, I did not. I definitely did not steal the candy. And so there's just a natural response to that. So let me ask you once again, how do you naturally respond? What's your first response when you are hurt by somebody? Oftentimes, we hurt them back. The natural response is, without thinking, kind of instant thing is, I'm going to hurt them back. It's a revenge thing. That's a natural response. Have you ever seen those... Uh, 
YouTube videos. Uh, they're very entertaining when a uh, practical joke goes bad. And so somebody has a mask on and they're hiding and they come up and they go, boo, and they try to scare. And then the person who's being scared just instantly, boom, punches them in the face. You ever seen that? I love that because you're going, they are not at fault. One of the rules of humanity is that if you have a practical joke put on you and somebody scares you and you punch them in the face, you are not at fault. It's an absolute rule. That, that, and it's just this natural thing. You watch it on the screen and you go, they don't even think about it. Somebody is doing something or attacking me, boom, I've got my, my fist in their face right away. It's just this natural uh, uh, response. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's our first response. It's just kind of the, 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 the I'm either going to hurt or I'm at least going to try to hurt you back. And uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he essentially says, let's not do that. He just says, yes, that's a natural response. Let's not do that. This morning, we're looking at Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And so we're going to spend some, there's so much there in Romans 12. We're going to spend a few, um, uh, we're going to spend our time this morning in just a few verses, as well as bounce around, take a look at a few other uh, verses. But here's what Paul says specifically, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, the beginning of that verse, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's what I've been saying here. That's the natural response is evil for evil. And Paul says, don't do it. (laughs) This concept of evil for evil would have been very familiar to to those who understood the Old Testament journey. In fact, the idea, the concept was written specifically in the Old Testament back in Exodus chapter 21 as part of the law, part of the Torah in the Old Testament. This is written, Exodus chapter 21. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, punch in the face for punch in the face. It, 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 is, it is clearly laid out here. There's no ifs, ands, or buts on this. And it is, it's, it's kind of primal, isn't it? I mean, you kind of look at that and you go, that's, that's survival of the fittest. You, you hit me, I will hit you back. It kind of doesn't have a sense of well, where is this coming from? Is there a greater story happening here? Is there a greater purpose going on here? What, 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 what's the context of all this? It's not asking any of those questions. It's just saying eye for eye, tooth for tooth, boom. It is, it is just boom, going right after it. So, so Paul says something that very much challenges this. Paul says something very different. He says, do not repay anyone, um, uh, do not repay anyone evil for evil, he says, which covers a lot of this ground. Do not repay anyone evil for evil at the beginning of uh, verse 17. Now, uh, there's another guy named Peter that I mentioned earlier, one of the disciples, and he actually wrote something similar in a letter that we call First Peter in chapter 3. He wrote something similar. He said, do not repay evil for evil. It's quite similar, actually. It's almost very similar. And what's interesting about this is that Paul and Peter very rarely have overlapping language. We see that sometimes in the New Testament, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke will sometimes have overlapping language stories that will be word for word, the same uh, found elsewhere. We do not find that with Paul and Peter. 
And so here we have these two guys saying the same exact thing that goes contrary to what we see from the book of the law in Exodus chapter 21 that goes against the natural tendencies, the natural response of human nature. Where do these guys guys get this stuff? It's almost like they have a common source. It's almost like they have a common teacher that they were learning from. Maybe a common rabbi that they were listening to. Hmm, wonder who could who that could have been. Jesus famously says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, he says, "You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth." Where does that come from? Exodus twenty-one. And they all were very familiar with this. You're all familiar with eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You get this. And then he goes on. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The Sermon on the Mount is essentially taking the natural responses that we have, the natural ways that we live life, and just flipping the whole thing upside down. The, the whole Sermon on the Mount is this, this three chapters in the book of Matthew that just flips so many of these things upside down. You've heard it said this. Jesus radically says, I want you to think even differently than that. I mean, just radically different. It's, it's, this, it's this profound transformation, and, and, and Peter got it as one of the disciples. And Paul, he got it. He understood it. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then Paul continues, the second half of verse 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because the reality is, we're not going to avoid evil. We're not going to avoid pain. We're not going to avoid being hurt by other people. There's no promise anywhere in Scripture that says if you follow Jesus, you will avoid pain. You will avoid evil. It's not that we will avoid those things. It's that we get to decide now that we know Jesus, how am I going to respond to these things differently than I would have prior to knowing, to knowing Jesus? And so the thing is, we're not going to avoid them. Are we going to, to uh, uh, keep building the evil back and forth and punch, 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 punch? Are we going to keep going in that direction? Or are we going to do something different where we actually live at peace with those around us? Am I going to do something different? I learned this week there's something called spite houses. You ever heard that phrase before? I've, I've never heard this before, but you can look it up. It's, a, it's an actual thing. People build homes, houses, buildings for the sole purpose of spite biting somebody else, of being spiteful towards somebody else. That's why a thing was built. Okay, let me give you an example. In the latter part of the 1800s in New York City, there was a guy named Hyman who owned a piece of property on uh, New York City on, on this street here. He owned this corner property. And he wanted to build an apartment building. And what he found out, what he discovered in the process of zoning and trying to figure it out how this was going to go, he realized that somebody else owned a small strip of land in between his land and the road that we see there on on that street there. So imagine there's no buildings, that Hyman has most of the property, but there's a little strip of land owned by somebody else. It happened to be owned by a guy named Joe. So Hyman went up to Joe and said, hey, I want to build an apartment building. I'd like to 
purchase your strip of land so that I could have the whole piece and make it happen. Joe did not want to sell. Joe, in fact, was offended by the offer from Hyman. It was too low. It was disgracefully low. I'm not sure what it was. But Joe, nonetheless, was offended. Hyman said, oh, well, no big deal. I still own this land. I'll build my, apart- my apartment building. And he did. Bil- he built the apartment building. Joe, out of spite, built a spite house, a spite building. And what that means is he took his small strip of land and he built a small building in front of Hyman's building to block off that entire part of his building. Okay, this, this is, this is the, this is the uh, 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 land that Joe had. The Hyman building is in behind. And so this little piece of land had a, had a long building that was five feet wide. I couldn't even walk down the building with my arms outstretched. I couldn't lie down across uh, this building. It was a completely dysfunctional building. It, it, the stairs wouldn't work. Uh, uh, just they couldn't kind of figure the stairs out. But he built a five-foot building across that way just to spite Hyman. Isn't that amazing? And this is one of many. You can check them out, spite houses. It's quite interesting what people will do to just kind of get, get revenge on others, to, to repay evil for evil. We live in a world of spite houses. And building a spite house is expensive and is time-consuming and it is stressful and it is the exact opposite of being at peace with everyone, as Paul talks about there in verse 18. It's the exact opposite of that. We get consumed by that. And how much money and time was wasted by Joe building this five-foot apartment building that no one would ever use? 30 years later, that five-foot building was, was torn down. It's just kind of a ridiculous story. Paul continues, verse 19. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is, this is a really important verse in terms of understanding how all this stuff lands. This is really important because one of our motivations for repaying evil for evil is that we, we value justice. We, we, don't, we don't like it when people get away with something. We don't want people to get away with things. And, and we value justice, and that's a good thing. Our God is a God of justice, and so it's a good thing that we value justice. But what that shows up in is, is us taking the role of the one to bring justice, to, to repay evil with, uh, with evil. And so we enter into that role because we say, I don't want people to get away with stuff. Sometimes when I'm driving my car, I have a natural involuntary response when somebody gets in behind me and it's very clear that they're in a hurry and that they don't like my speed. And if it's, a, if it's, if it's like a single lane road, like there's just, just a, you know, I just look out this window and you know, if you head east on Pecos Road and, and then you take the I-10 exit, it's this long uh, bridge that goes over and, uh, and so there's no way to get around. And if I get somebody who's in a hurry to get on I-10 going north or west, and they're in behind me, and they're riding my bumper, they're right behind me, I have a natural involuntary response. I don't know how, how this happens, but my foot lifts off the gas. It's amazing. My foot just, I look in the rearview mirror, and I go, huh, 
I feel the need to go slower. And so I lift off, and my wife hates it when I do this. She doesn't, she, she's just driving, and she sees my speed, and she says, there's somebody behind us, isn't there? Never mind, never mind, because she's nervous. I'm going to get shot, uh, and it's, it's very possible, but it hasn't happened yet. And so, so I just have this, this, this knee, especially if they're behind me. They're right on my bumper, and they're flashing lights, do, 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 flashing lights. It doesn't make me nervous. It doesn't make me go faster. It does the opposite, because I want to teach them a lesson. I want them to understand, because I'm taking justice into my own hands, and I want them to, to think about what they're doing. I want them to go home after this drive and ponder that moment and think, you know, I need to rethink my whole life. I need to understand the value of patience. This is what I want and expect to happen when I lift off of the gas. Do you think that happens? No. I know that doesn't happen because I've been the guy behind as much as I've been the guy in front. And so I know that I just get mad. I don't get whatever. And so this is what happens here is we, we, we take the law into our own hands. And it's a natural thing to do because we value justice. We don't want people to get away with something. But what I think Paul profoundly says here, he says, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. It is, my, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. I think what, what Paul is saying here is nobody gets away with anything. We think they do. And they think they do. And we think we do when we we think we get away with stuff. There's stuff that happened this week that you think you got away with because nobody found out because you know what? I got two, three days away from it and nothing bad happened. Yes, I got away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. That's the, that's the sovereignty of God. It just says it's, it's, that's not your job to repay and fix and, and, and take the law into your own hands, etc. That's not your job. It's mine to avenge. I will repay. I will take care of this. Legally, we understand this idea of you can't take the law into your own hands. Even if you're totally right, you, you can't do that. That's why we have a, a judicial system in our culture. And we have a great one that, that I believe God has set up and has given us wisdom and inspiration in order to have one of the greatest judicial systems in the, in the history of humanity and they create laws, and of course it's not perfect, but they create laws and they enforce laws, and it's, it's, a, judge, it's a, a government system that we get to live under, and we should be very thankful for it. It's a great system, and in that system, you and I can't just take the law into our own hands. The same thing can be said spiritually. We don't get to just take the law into our own hands, and so, you know what, I need to, I need to, to have you learn a lesson that's not our job. It's not my job to be the judge. It's not my job to fix other people. God says, it, it, it's my job to avenge. I will repay. So whether it's legally or spiritually, that's not our job to jump in and take care of those things and respond evil for evil and make sure people learn their lessons. My job is to not repay anyone, evil for evil. That's my job. That's our job. I think it's pretty clear. It's profound and it's difficult and it goes against our natural response, but it's clear. Here's, here's what I struggle with on, on Paul's words here. Why did God make us this way? That Jesus is the creator. We learned that from Colossians chapter 1 uh, a number of weeks back. Jesus is the creator. 
And we've been created with a natural response to repay evil for evil, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Why did Jesus make us to respond in a certain way and then expect us to respond in a different way? I'm not sure that's fair. Think about it. Imagine that you're a boss and you're hiring somebody and that person just happens to be a loud talker. And so this person's very loud on the phone conversation, and then when they come in for the interview, they're loud. They're just a consistently loud person. But you decide to go ahead and hire this person. But after three months, you, you, you do a performance evaluation and say, you know what, it's not going to work here because you're obnoxiously loud. And we're just, we're just not a loud talker kind of people. And so that's not going to work for us. Well, how would that person respond? My guess is that that would, person would probably respond by saying, that's not fair. That's, you knew I was a loud talker, and so nothing changed on that. How, how, how could you expect something different than what you got all along on the front end? Why does God make us to respond naturally in a certain way and then expect us to respond in a different way? There's a part of that that doesn't seem fair. But for me, if you just... If you just soak in that for a little bit, that just takes you to the reality of the fall. That, that, that that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. That we are all broken. We are born broken. We are separated from, from, uh, from God. We are separated from what God has, had originally created us to be. There is a division there, and that separation is why Jesus came. Jesus came because under, under our own uh, without him, we just stay with our own natural responses. We need Jesus because otherwise we will just continue with our own natural eye for an eye, evil for evil responses. We will stay there. But Jesus comes. He comes to be a part of our life. He worked through Paul. He worked through Peter. And he says, instead of the natural response, I want you to have a better response. Instead of your first response, I want you to have a thoughtful helpful response. In the words of Paul, instead of the acts of the flesh, I want you to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jesus does. Jesus allows us to move from the natural response to a better response. So one final thing. How do we do that? How do we make that transition? from the natural response that we all are familiar with to a better response to when people hurt us. Well, how do we do that in any area of our life where we naturally respond in an unhealthy way? We either do nothing and just, and just say, hey, that's who I am. Take it or leave it, that's who I am. I am an alcoholic. I smoke. I am irresponsible with my finances. I don't use my turn signal. Whatever the thing might be, fill in the blank. Either we just say, nope, I'm not going to work on that. Or we make efforts to change. We, we train in order to, to change. We become more familiar with the voice of the Holy Spirit. We understand what it means to walk with Jesus and then respond differently in those situations than we would have before we knew Jesus. We train, we prepare. It doesn't happen naturally. It happens over time with, over, with a relationship with Jesus. In, in the journal this week, I read ahead. 
And on page 13, uh, it is the small group uh, day, small group journey there. And there's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and this is so much in line with Romans 12:17a. Don't, don't repay evil for evil. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. How does Martin Luther King, how is he able to say something like that, to speak something like that, to live something like that? Is, is he just a man 50, 60 years ago who happened to not have the natural responses that all the rest of us have? No. He learned it. He was trained in this. A few years back, I went to the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. If you ever have a chance to go there, I highly recommend it. It's actually a museum that is at the location of the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was shot and killed. Uh, those cars in the background, those are the original cars that were there. And just on the second balcony up on that corner area, that's where Dr. King was shot from across the street, shot and killed right there. And they've taken that whole area, that whole uh, uh, hotel that still looks the same, but they've gutted the inside and they've turned it into a spectacular museum. In the museum, there is a video, you can stand and watch a video up on the screen, of, uh, uh, of sit-ins from the 60s where courageous young men and women would go to white-only lunch counters and they would have the videos and show the fact that they would get yelled at and spit at and knocked off of the benches and kicked. And, and it's just horrific to watch these actual footage of these uh, sit-ins that happened in the 60s. And you think, how could they do that? How could they endure being dehumanized in that way and not respond evil for evil? The answer to how they could do that is on the video screen right next to it because they, had, they showed a training video from the 60s where those same men and women would go at a fake lunch counter and they would have trainers walk around and yell at them and threaten them with physical violence and just over and over again uh, speak to them in this way and they would have training after training after training so that they could learn how, when they get in the real situation, that they would not respond with the natural first response, but that they would respond differently. And the world's a different place because of it. They, they don't just do that because it was, it was a natural thing for them. They did it because they prepared for it, because they trained for it, because they believed in what Jesus was saying, and Peter was saying, and Paul was saying, and Dr. King was saying, and other leaders were saying. We can do this differently. We will not respond evil for evil. But they had to work at it, and we have to work at it. We have to be committed to this and not just let our natural response go where it wants to go. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about our natural response 
to the situations when in life when we are wronged, when people hurt us. Next week, I'm going to talk about, again, the beauty and the power of forgiveness and how we do that. But this week, all, all I want you to do is to pay attention to how you respond when you are wronged. When there are people in your life, your spouse, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a kid, when you are wronged and the natural response is to repay evil for evil. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to change your response or anything. I just want you to be mindful of what your natural response is. Pay attention to what your first response is. Think about the words of Paul and Peter of Jesus. And then next week, we're going to look into what forgiveness looks like. So that when, when people off us, they, they cut us off, they rip us off, they tick us off. When people off us in different ways, that we would respond in a way that is consistent with our Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you and then we'll uh, move on from there. God, again, I thank you for your forgiveness that we sit here, we stand here, and we are forgiven for things that we don't deserve to be forgiven. That you, you fortunately have not said evil for evil, eye for eye, but that you have shown tremendous grace to us. And so, Father, I pray this week as we encounter others, as we have interactions with our families, etc., that when the natural first response tendency comes up for us to respond evil for evil, to elevate the conversation, to build a smite house, a spite house, whatever that might look like, God, that instead of moving in that natural way, God, that you would pull, 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 pull over our eyes, that we would notice that moment, that we would notice that that's a, that's a moment where you want us to respond differently. God, would you help us to see that this week? We want to experience your forgiveness, and we want to learn how to pass that on to others so that we can experience the freedom that comes. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. I'm thankful that you were here today. If you would like prayer, the prayer team is going to gather up front here for any reason that you would like to be prayed for. They'd love to pray with you. Have a great uh, week, and we will see you next time.